Yo, this is Axel Rose of Guns N' Roses. Hey, this is Carmen Electra. Hi, this is Daryl Strawberry. What up, though? This is Big Snoop Deal Double G. Hi, this is John Stallard. Hey, yo, Hulk Hogan here. What's up? This is Beyonce. I got a great show lined up for y'all. Hey, yo, yo, yo. Let's get this party started. The Sports Beat. You know what? Let's keep it hot. The Sports Beat is off the chain, man. Ah, yeah. The Sports Beat. Download the podcast now. You're listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. Welcome to another episode of the Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. How is everybody doing out there? I am so happy to be here. We have got a great show for you. Just a reminder that you are listening to us on WQEE 99.1 FM, the key out of Noonan, Georgia. Brought to you by Ivy Park Sports and Grill, Go Jump and Slide Inflatables, Christie's Cafe, and the Man in the Mirror podcast. Before I have my broadcast partner and co-host Corey Bank on the show, I'm going to have Justin Dale on and we're going to talk about the Georgia-Tennessee game, which was recorded yesterday. We have the college football rankings that are out. I will discuss that. World Series Game 3 and Bryce Harper starting to heat up. Uh, Superstars always excel in the big stage. and I think the Phillies are going to win the World Series. I honestly do. Uh, This is November 2nd. This is episode 395. Let me tell you what's on tap as I have a special announcement to make here on the show. So I'm going to be broadcasting this show live at Ivy Park Sports and Grill on Tuesday nights from 6 to 7 p.m. as I will have the coaches show for the Columbus Rapids and the coaches show for the Columbus Lions. Now, this means that I will be able to have guests on my podcast. And the podcast will be broadcasted at the later day. So this is going to be live. You're going to get to see the live show at Ivy Park. Uh, you could watch it on Facebook. And then uh, you can come by Ivy Park. We're going to have trivia. We're going to have giveaways. Uh, we'll be giving away some free meals, some tickets, some merchandise for the Columbus Rapids. As the new season in the NISL year two is approaching fast. We do know that the first preseason game is December 1st. Other than that, we do not know when the games are happening. Hey, the Columbus River Dragons are in action this weekend. Once again, taking on the Mississippi Sea Wolves for a two-game series down in Biloxi, Mississippi. The River Dragons are 3-1 on the season. I'm hoping to have leading goal scorer Alex Storjahan on the show as he is leading the team with five goals. Uh, Would like to get him on uh, leading up to their home opener on November the 11th. Uh, So on the show tomorrow, I'm going to have WTVM's Tony Reese. Glad to get him on the show. And then on Friday's high school football preview review show, and uh, we're going to talk about the playoffs in Alabama. Not only am I going to have my broadcast partner and co-host Corey Bank on the show, I'm also going to have WRBL's Jack Patterson. So uh, you definitely want to tune into that as we are going to preview playoffs in Alabama for the AHSA and the AISA. Because you got Glenwood and Lee Scott Academy, both with buys this weekend, and they will take on their first game in the playoffs, the semifinals games for the AISA. Uh, Central, Auburn, they're all in the playoffs. Beauregard's in the playoffs. Lynette, uh, I will preview it all on Friday. I'm 
privilege to have Jack Patterson on the show. Uh, cannot wait for that. All right, so let's get right into the show. The new college football rankings are out, and I actually called it. I said that the Tennessee Volunteers would be ranked number one. I did not see Ohio State jump Georgia. The rankings have them as the number two team. Georgia is the number three team, followed by Clemson and Michigan. Did the committee get it right? Does it really matter until the end of the regular season? Right now, it's just strength of schedule. Tennessee has beaten five ranked teams. Just incredible. But Georgia, number three in the nation now, is taking on the number one team in the country, the Tennessee Volunteers. And uh, this is definitely bulletin board material for head coach Kirby Smart. Absolutely. So game three of the World Series took place last night in Philly. And the Philadelphia Phillies come out like gangbusters. They set a record with five home runs. They defeat the Houston Astros 7 to nothing. They take a 2-1 series lead against the Astros. Bryce Harper started the party with a two-run blast in the first inning. He had home runs by Brom, Kyle Schwarber. It's incredible. It's incredible what the Phillies are doing. And I think that the Phillies are going to win the World Series. Their next two games are at home. They're setting up for their pitching for Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola. And I think the Phillies take care of business and they win their first World Series since 2008. Philly fans. I remember I was up in Maryland in 2008 when the Phillies won the World Series and they were happy. They were celebrating. It was a party in Philly and it spread into Baltimore because, you know, I was up in Maryland and in Baltimore and so there was a lot of Philly residents in Baltimore. As happy as the Phillies fans are when they win the World Series, it doesn't compare to when the Eagles win the Super Bowl and it's not even close. Right now, the Eagles are undefeated, and they look like the favorites to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. It's a great time. Enjoy this moment, Philly fans. And uh, let's just hope that the Sixers and the Flyers uh, do well. Hey, the Philadelphia Union are in the MLS playoffs. So uh, there are good times in Philly right now. Uh, We will be back with my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bank, for the Daily Dash. You don't want to miss it. Stick around. Welcome back to the Daily Dash. I've got my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bank, as we are going to make some college football picks. Corey, what's going on? It's a great day, and it's a great week for college football. Right. Before we get into the Georgia-Tennessee game, we are going to start with Clemson and Notre Dame. It's in South Bend. Clemson actually jumped up to number four in the new college football rankings that came out yesterday. Notre Dame has got two losses on their schedule. They wish they could just throw out the tape against Marshall and against Stanford. Otherwise, I thought they played Ohio State tough. I think what Marcus Freeman is doing at Notre Dame, he's continuing to improve that program. Corey, I'm calling for the upset. I think that Notre Dame gets the upset over Clemson. That's a very interesting prediction, Richard. Wow, very bold. So, the Clemson Tigers traveled to Notre Dame, Richard, in this week for a matchup with the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Clemson comes into this game undefeated through eight games and ranked number five in the nation. Following a six-point win over Syracuse, offensively, Clemson dominated this game, compiling 450 yards, including 293 on the ground to score 27 points in the game. After 17-point fourth quarter, erased 11-point deficit. 
DJ Uwiaglier completed 13 of 21 passing for 138 yards and backed up Cade Klublik completed two passes for 19 as well. Will Shipley led all ball carriers with 172 yards. That right there, Richard, is an astounding stat. Two scores on 27 carries. Well, Phil Maffa chipped in when 94 yards and one score on 18 carries on the ground. Now the Notre Dame Fighting Irish return home this week. Two games above 500, riding a two-win streak at their 17-point road win in Syracuse. The Notre Dame offense was the difference against Syracuse, and the Irish totaled more than 350 yards after 246 came on the ground. To score 41 points in the victory, Richard Drew Piney orchestrated the Notre Dame offense, completing 9 of 19 passing for 116 yards and one score, and ran the ball four times for just 15 yards. But Audric Estami led all ball carriers in the game, Richard, 123 yards on two touchdowns for 20 carries. That right there is incredible. When you have a back like that who's carrying the football above five yards a carry in his proficiency, that's closer to the lines of six yards a carry, a clip, you got to keep feeding him the rock. So Logan Diggs also added 85 yards in one score on 20 carries as well. In this fight of the Irish and the Tigers, I would have to take in this one the Clemson Tigers. That's a good pick, Corey. Now let's go to Fayetteville, Arkansas, where Liberty, I'm telling you, 7-1, and one, what Hugh Freeze is doing at the University of Liberty is fascinating. Their only loss was a one-point loss to a ranked Wake Forest. They just steamrolled over BYU last week, 41-14. to 14. Now they travel to Arkansas to take on the Razorbacks, who just got off their win over Auburn. Arkansas is favored by 13 and a half. I think Arkansas wins, but Liberty is going to give them a game, and then Hugh Freeze jumps up as the hottest coaching candidate who's probably going to go in the SEC. I think that Auburn is going to be calling him because of what he has done at Liberty. Absolutely, Richard. It's a very interesting scenario. Indeed, Arkansas is a better team, but you know for a fact that Liberty will give them a run for the money. So the Liberty Flames come into this game with a record of 7-1 this season. In their last game, the Flames played against the BYU Cougars and notched a win by a score of 41-14. Jonathan Bennett connected on 24-29 passing with 247 yards and two touchdowns. He had a quarterback rating of 170.2 and ended the contest with one interception. Day-Day Hunter was the best rusher for the Flames with 23 carries for an amazing 213 yards on the ground. Richard, when you have a back that carries the football that averages 9.3 yards per carry, that is almost a first down a rush. That's almost unheard of at any level, for that matter. When all said and done, they had 547 yards Overall offense, but the Liberty Flames rushed the ball 
for over 300 yards. Their ground attack has been stout. They've been opening up the holes, and they've been able to gash things open and getting their backs out to the second level. Now, Liberty surrendered 16 completions on 34 tries. So on the defensive side of the ball, they gave up 880 yards and a completion rate of 47.1%. That's very decent. Now, the Razorbacks step onto the field holding this record of 5-3 and three on the year. When they last played, the Razorbacks got the win in the final score of 41-27, when they played the Auburn Tigers. Raheem Sanders ran for 16 times for 171. Man, another great back, except this guy, when he couldn't get any better. The Arkansas back averaged 10 yards carry, 10.7 yards per rush. Now, K.J. Jefferson had a touchdown as well in the football game. But when it was all said and done, and this is going to be a game and a fight in the trenches, I'm going to have to take in this football game, Richard, the Arkansas Razorback. The Alabama Crimson Tide traveled to Death Valley for a night game in Baton Rouge against the LSU Tigers. The new college football rankings has got Alabama ranked number six and LSU ranked number 10. So this is another top 10 SEC matchup. And this is just a great weekend for college football. Usually this Alabama-LSU matchup has always been a big matchup, and especially in Death Valley, Alabama the last couple of years has struggled on the road against SEC opponents in a hostile environment. They're not disciplined enough like they are at home. They have a lot of penalties. They make a lot of mistakes. And the Alabama Crimson Tide also struggle against mobile quarterbacks. Jaden Daniels for LSU is a dual-threat quarterback that can find the holes in the defense. Corey, even though Alabama is favored by nearly two touchdowns, 13.5 points, I think that Alabama will win because they're fighting for their SEC lives. I mean, because if LSU wins, they take over first place in the SEC West. I think that Alabama wins, but it is going to be razor close. I think it's going to be a one-point game, or it's going to be one on a last-second field goal. But somehow, someway, Alabama will escape with a win in Death Valley. And then you're going to start seeing a special rivalry, especially now that Brian Kelly is there. And that's why he took the LSU job, to try to beat Nick Saban every year. I know that we're excited about that Georgia-Tennessee game, but right afterwards on ESPN at 7 o'clock, Alabama and LSU, and that is going to be a fascinating game as well. Yeah, Richard, I do have to agree with you. It's going to be a very interesting game. And a very bold prediction, indeed, that you had, I will. So, the Alabama Crimson Tide head into the game, Richard. 7-1 in the season. And their last contest, the Crimson Tide played against the Mississippi State Bulldogs. And went home with a win by a final score of 30-6. Now, Bryce Young connected on 21-35 passing for 249 through the air and two touchdowns. So, he is dynamic, indeed. And he's going to be showing this as he's definitely a Heisman Trophy candidate this year. So he had a quarterback rating of 138.6, and he finished the game without throwing a pick. So Jamar Gibbs led the offense in rushing for the Crimson Tide, 10 carries for 37 yards, and they had 290 yards of total offense. But the thing is, is that when it came to stopping the run, the Crimson Tide gave up 62 yards on 26 attempts. That's pretty darn good for a defense. 2.4 yards of rush. They got stout linebackers that fill the holes and gap. They got a defensive line 
that will penetrate the backfield pretty well. But the thing is, is that, Richard, the Alabama team uh, led 61 attempts for 30 completions, and that regard is a call telling hand. Now, the Tigers come into this matchup with a record of 6-2 and two on the season. When they played the Tigers, they became victorious with a score of 45-20. When they played the Ole Miss Rebels, Jaden Daniels ran the football 23 times for 121 and ended the contest with 5.3 yards per attempt. Jaden Daniels walked away from the contest with 248 yards on 21-28 through the air and a quarterback rating of 173. So when it's all said and done, I'm going to have to take this Alabama Crimson Tide with momentum. Yes, they're going to give them a run for their money because this LSU team is a very physical bunch. It's going to be the battle of the trenches. Who wants it more? And in this one, I'm going to take the Alabama Crimson Tide, Richard. And now the moment we've all been waiting for, the game of the century. Now They're no longer number one versus number two. I was getting excited about that. But the new college football rankings has got Tennessee number one. And Georgia, number three, I think that is going to be momentum for Georgia to try to win this game. The line has gone down to eight. It was at one point Georgia was favored by 12. A lot of people are putting money on Tennessee. They think that Tennessee has caught lightning in a bottle with Hinden Hooker. This is a special Tennessee Volunteers team. Kind of reminds me of that 2019 LSU team. This is going to be a great game. It's going to be a very high-scoring game. I feel that Georgia's offense can go toe-to-toe with the up-tempo Josh Heupel offense with Hinden Hooker and those wide receivers. The matchups I want to see is Jalen Hyatt, Cedric Tillman coming back from injury, but can the Tennessee defense slow down Georgia's offense with Brock Bowers? I think Georgia wins, but I think it's going to be very close, and it's just going to be a great game, and really, The loser of this game is not out of the college football playoff. I think if it is a close game, they are not going to drop the loser that far, and they could possibly sneak in, but they got to hope that the winner of this game beats Alabama or LSU in the SEC title game. That's definitely for sure, Richard. It's going to be a dogfight between these two Titan-like teams for sure. So the Tennessee Volunteers step onto the field holding this record of 8-0 for the season. In their last contest, they played against the Kentucky Wildcats and notched a win by a score of 44-6. Hendon Hooker finished with 19-25 passing with 245 through the air and three touchdowns. He had a quarterback rating of 197.9. That right there is an immaculate stat. Wow. Now, Jabari Small led the offense in rushing for the Volunteers with 21 carries for 78 yards, 3.7 yards on the ground. The Tennessee Volunteers ended up rushing 40 times for 177 yards in the game, 4.4 yards per attempt, pretty decent. But this Tennessee team relinquished 16 passes for 27 attempts for an incredible stat. 98 yards of passing yards they gave up, yes, you heard me say it. They gave 98 yards last week, this number one Tennessee volunteer team, to a guy who's supposed to be in the running for a top first-round pick, and that is Will Levis. And they made him look that way. So that's incredible indeed. Now, the Bulldogs walked 
away with a victory last week, 42-20 against the Florida Gator. Dajon Edwards carried the ball 12 times for 106 yards, finishing the game with 8.8 yards per carry for the Georgia Bulldogs. Wow. End of the year, 16 yards passing, 19-38, QB QBR rating. He had two interceptions, and that is pretty darn good. So the Georgia Bulldogs allowed 34 attempts on the ground for 100 yards, 2.9 yards per rush. Very stout indeed there. The Bulldogs secondary gave up a completion percentage of 48.6%, Richard, relinquishing 271 yards on 18 of 37 passing. So in this battle, this trench fight battle, you have two very aggressive teams imposing their will. Who's going to win on the offensive side of the ball? Who's going to win the defensive side of the ball? Those are going to be the questions. Who's going to open up the holes for quarterback Hendon Hooker, who's been incredible this season? Who's going to open up space for Stetson Bennett and the Georgia Bulldogs? And are there dynamic tight ends with the likes of Darnell Washington going to step up in the football game? Those are the questions to be asked. But in this game, I'm going to have to take the Georgia Bulldogs, Rich. That is a great pick, Corey. Corey, as always, thank you so much for being on the show for the Daily Dash. Looking forward to talking with you tomorrow. Absolutely, Richard. It's always a pleasure. All right. That was my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bank, for the Daily Dash. We'll be right back with Justin Dale. You don't want to go anywhere. Back with Justin. Welcome back to the show. And on the show, I've got my Wednesday guest, Justin Dale, as we've got a lot to talk about, not just Georgia and the Falcons. Oh, man, breaking news coming down the wire for the trade deadline for the NFL. Calvin Ridley getting traded to the Jaguars. We're going to talk about that. Justin, how you doing, man? Good, man. Good. It was a... It was a good weekend, uh, costly weekend, like you like you just mentioned um, for some of the teams. But man, it was a good sports weekend for um, for Georgia teams, that's for sure. Now I have to ask you because I want to talk about the Georgia Florida game. Georgia won, and you know obviously they should have won because they had better players. They take the twenty eight to three lead at the half. Man, that twenty eight to three just can't get away from that, can we? What was going through your mind when uh, Florida cut it to twenty-eight to twenty? Well, you know that the game. I mean, I was, I wasn't really that. I did, if you asked me if I got nervous, I didn't get that nervous about it. Um, I, I knew we had made some mistakes in this game that allowed Florida to stay in it. Uh, Georgia turned the ball over three times. Bennett, um, two of them were Bennett's responsibilities. But the, um, so I mean, it makes you a little nervous. You know, I feel like we should have been playing better than we did, but. Um, Georgia did exactly what I expected them to do, which was regroup, get it together, and continue to go out there and put points on the board, continuing to put pressure on Florida to have to try to capitalize and, and try to keep scoring with us. And I knew they they couldn't keep up offensively with us. All right, so Georgia wins. We got a big showdown. Uh, this is going to be the first top five matchup between Georgia and Tennessee this rivalry between Georgia and Tennessee, it's a very underrated rivalry because they're both border state. And I have ties to Tennessee. You know, we both went to school in Tennessee. We all know about the fan base in Tennessee. And then you have Georgia. You know, I saw a graphic on uh, the Late Kick podcast with Josh Pate. 
I saw a graphic where it's looking like the 2022 Tennessee Volunteers are starting to look like the 2019 LSU tie catching lightning in a bottle. But what is it going to take for Georgia to get the victory over the balls on Saturday? This rivalry is underrated. Um, I think a lot of it's because um, Georgia and Tennessee typically like when Georgia, like Tennessee's good years back in the nineties, Georgia was a very, had, had some very mediocre seasons. Georgia's had this run of success lately where Tennessee has been down. So a lot of the both teams like successful years have come at the other team's mediocre years. And so um, it's been very, very, you know, it's, it's, it's very few matchups like this. I mean, this is the first time that they, they've met together as top five teams um, potentially as number one and number two, they are number one, and number two in the AP poll. We'll see what the college football playoff poll looks like this evening. But big game, nonetheless, you know, whether the rankings are there or not, this probably is going to decide the SEC East. But the, uh, you know, what, what Georgia needs to do, they've they got to come out of the gate and ready to play. Um, Tennessee starts fast. They, they've been doing it in every game they've played so far. They come out and they score. They don't get off the sluggish starts. Georgia, on the other hand, has had games where they have gotten off to a sluggish start, where they're not maybe meshing on offense maybe right away, and they get go- they get going as the game gets going. Um, if they if they fall into that same trap against Tennessee, they could be easily looking at being down twenty one nothing, you know, and stuff like that. And so I think they have to come out ready. They have to come out playing hard. And I, I think the big the best thing for Georgia is to keep the ball. They need to dominate time of possession. Uh, Tennessee plays fast. They like to score quick. And the best thing you can do is keep the out for a team like that is keep the ball away from them. And so, you know, Tennessee's offense is, you know, number one in the nation. They're scoring um, tons of points, and they're, and they're very hard to stop. Uh, the one thing about Tennessee this, that is their Achilles Hill is their defense. Now, their defense played very well against Kentucky this past Saturday, held them to six points, only gave up the one touchdown drive, and that was it. Um, in the first, I believe that was in, towards the end of the first quarter. And so, um, but their pass defense is not very good. Um, it's ranked very low in, in FBS and same thing with their rush defense. It's, it's, better, it's ranked a little bit better um, than their passing off uh, defenses. But uh, Georgia has to control the time of possession in this game. Keep the ball away from Tennessee, um, put together some long drives and, and score touchdowns. Um, and they got to just, they, you know, they don't have to start fast. They just need to start and put points on the board against Tennessee. They don't need to be having three and outs, you know, first two or three possessions in the game where you could find yourself down, you know, at least maybe not 21 nothing because the defense is pretty good, but maybe 14 nothing, 17 nothing, something like that. So, um, so yeah, you know, start off and start off um, well, keep pace with Tennessee. Um, I feel like Georgia has the depth. Um, they win that, you know, they have depth on the team that they can outlast Tennessee. Uh, this is going to be a high scoring game. I mean, Tennessee is going to score points against Georgia's defense. Um, but we just, if we can make some timely stops and hold them to maybe some field goals instead of touchdowns, if we can get some touchdowns, I, I do feel like this is a winnable game for us. We're at home too. We got the crowd on our side. Um, the Bulldogs nation needs to show up and be loud and proud and affect um, affect that game. You know, uh, last year, Arkansas got off to such a hot start to begin the season. They came into Athens and it was so loud um, down there that they couldn't hear and it affected them. And so that's what Bulldogs fans need to be. They need to be loud from the moment the, the game starts and affect the uh, rhythm of Tennessee. 
Now, you mentioned something on Facebook earlier today about next man up. The, we got the word that Nolan Smith is going to be out for the season. I mean, I think Jalen Carter is actually their best defender. But how important is it for, you know, the linebacking core to step up? Georgia's defense that has taken a step back from last season, you know, we know their offense is better. But Tennessee, which is the number one ranked offense, they're going to score points on Georgia's defense. But what is it going to take to slow down this Tennessee offense? Is, is Georgia going to have to get into a shootout with Hendon Hooker? Or can the defense for Georgia make plays and slow down this Tennessee offense? I definitely think they can. Uh, I mean, losing Nolan Smith is huge, guys. Um, you know, it's it's more than just production and numbers. He's the, He was the clear leader on that defense. He called the plays. Um, his leadership there was in, you know, was, was, um, tremendable and having him available, um, for that, you know, him coming back for his senior year was huge for a defense that lost a lot. And so I do feel like, um, losing him is tough. It really, really is. So getting him back, uh, or, you know, losing him for the season is tough. You know, um, he's going to go to the NFL. He'll probably be a first-round pick uh, this year. And so, but losing him hurts this defense a lot. But I do feel like the playmakers are there. The leadership is still there to um, to win this game. They, But, yeah, they've got to be good up front. You know, um, having Jalen Carter back is huge as well. Um, there's been some, some you know, we, yeah, there's, been, there's been some injuries in the secondary, but I think that's going to be one of the biggest things is the secondary stepping up and playing really well. That, that's that been one of our strengths. I feel like our DBs are better talent-wise than what Alabama's DBs are this year, and I feel like that's one of our strengths. And so making sure you can um, slow down this offense, and I think just making sure somebody's on Jalen Hyatt. I mean, that's the biggest thing. He torched Alabama's defense by himself for 200 yards and five touchdown passes. You know, you cannot let this guy get open um, and allow him to just absolutely tear your defense up. If you can kind of contain him and keep, you know, keep him from running wide open on you, um, that'll be a huge help to slowing down this, this Tennessee offense. All right, let's talk about the college football playoff. Let's say the loser of this game ends the regular season with one loss. Mm-hmm. What are the chances that that team could sneak into the college football playoff? I think there's a good chance. Um, here's the thing. Um, if, if that's going to happen, if whoever wins this game, the losing fan base has to cheer for that team to win the SEC title. Um, that, that has to happen. So if Georgia wins – if Tennessee wants to sneak in as a one-loss at-large team, then they better be cheering for us to go win the SEC title. Same thing if we lose to Tennessee, we better be cheering for them to do it. Because if they do and they play Alabama, um, and, and let's just say Alabama makes it to the SEC championship game, wins the West, they already have one loss. They have a second loss. They're out at that point. So then you have a chance as a second SEC team to get in to the playoff. you got to hope for that, maybe hope for – a few other things to maybe fall in your place as well. Clemson maybe getting a loss at some point would be helpful as well. But Clemson, I don't, I just don't feel like their resume is very strong. Even if they do win the ACC, I just don't feel like it's very strong to to get them a playoff spot without some help from other schools losing along the way too. Um, so there's definitely some challengers in there, but I, I do feel like there's a good shot for it. But the but the biggest thing is you got to hope that Alabama doesn't win the SEC title. Um, because if they do, if there's if they do, then um, then yeah, the, then the other team will have a good chance to uh, to do it. But if Alabama wins the SEC title, 
um, they'll get in by having the SEC title, and then it becomes a, you know, if you, if the second SEC t- team does get in, then it becomes a comparison of Tennessee and Georgia, and if whoever lost that game is probably going to end up on the outside looking in. That's pretty interesting because let's say Georgia would have to go undefeated. Let's say Georgia beats Tennessee. Georgia would have to go undefeated in that SEC title game. Let's say Georgia slips up and loses to Mississippi State or Kentucky, and they go into the SEC championship game with one loss, and Alabama's got one loss. Let's say Alabama wins. Tennessee could jump Georgia because they would have one one loss. This happened a couple of years ago. You remember when Florida made it to a, a, a New Year's Six bowl game and Georgia was left out because they were the runner-up in the SEC title game, but they had two losses, and Florida only had one loss. Right. And that's, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Runner up gets in with two, you know, with one loss. Two losses really keeps you out of the college football playoff. Um, but yeah, I mean, last year, Georgia went in undefeated to the SEC title game. They lost. It was pretty much a given going into that game, whoever that those two teams were. If, if Alabama won, Georgia was going to get in either way. But Alabama needed that conference title in order to get themselves in where if they would have, if Georgia would have won the SEC title, they would have been on the outside looking in with two losses. But, um, but yeah, same thing, even then in 2017, when Georgia won the SEC title, Alabama snuck in with one loss. So there, there definitely is a precedent for it to happen. And there definitely is, it, it could definitely happen. It's just, you gotta, you know, there, there's a lot of things that have to go into it. And, and a lot of it's the committee, you know, the committee makes those decisions at the end of the year. And so, the losing team, while they have a chance, you're putting yourself in the hands of the committee, <laughs> and that's not a great place to be in, honestly. No, it's, not. Um, it's not. So, yeah, I, I think personally um, it's, you know, go in, take care of your business. You know, go win this game, um, move on, get to the SEC championship game, and then go um, take your chances against Alabama or LSU, whoever, win, whoever wins that game this weekend. Um, get your chances try to win went out and if i'm you know if i'm a tennessee fan or a georgia fan like i'd rather i'd rather just win my game take care of my business and get myself in and not not have to worry about worrying about what the committee's going to do okay let's talk about the atlanta falcons that was such a crazy game between the atlanta falcons and the carolina panthers i was watching the game pj walker throws the hail mary dj jones gets the touchdown you know what was going through my mind justin most heartbreaking loss that the Falcons have ever had since 28 to three. I mean, this was shocking. I I tweeted that they lost because I didn't anticipate that uh, DJ Moore would take off his helmet in celebration. And a good thing that head coach Arthur Smith took the 15 yards on the extra point because Pinheiro had to attempt a 48 yard extra point. They missed. They go into overtime, and then in overtime, the Falcons get the ball first. Marcus Mariota throws the interception to DJ Henderson, and Pinheiro has a chance to win the game for the Carolina Panthers with a chip shot field goal, and he misses. Justin, have you ever seen a Falcons win that was played so badly where you just, like, were glad that you got out with the win, but the Falcons deserve to lose? I mean, yeah, I'm glad we got the win for sure because it, it cements our place in first now in first place by ourselves by a game over um, Tampa Bay. Um, let's see. So yeah, there's so there's that, and then um, yeah, we we we'll, we could just talk about the Falcons and 
in college. Like with, your segment could be 20 minutes. It doesn't have to be 30. No, it's fine. We can talk about some more. I'm just trying to – sorry, I got somebody doing something for me and the config was wrong, so – No, it's okay. I'm trying to compare a few things for them. And... I think I ended at the – wasn't that the craziest Falcons game you ever saw? And I think uh, – Okay, so yeah, let me, let me go I, ahead. I've kind of just – I pretty much lost my – like. I can't repeat that question again. I don't know why. That's fine. You can, we'll just pick up from there. The craziest game. So let me pick up from there. Okay. So, yeah, that game was crazy. Um, the ending of it, you know, it's funny, It's funny, Richard, because I was actually talking to a friend of mine about that game, and I said, you know, this is exactly the kind of game the Falcons would have lost. Like this, like a year ago, two years ago. Um, this is the kind of crazy ending that usually ends up in a Falcons loss where they, you know, snatch the, uh, you know, snatch the defeat from the jaws of victory kind of thing. Um, but this is um, – it was interesting to see it go our way. And like I said, it was it was not a greatly played game. There were mistakes all over the place. There were some good things about the game. There was some not so good things about this game. Uh, Mariota turned the ball over um, a couple times. He also had a couple touchdowns too. But um, definitely a game where neither team really wanted to win. <laughs> I feel like, yeah. and, uh, but uh, somebody had to, right? So yeah, I'm glad yeah, the Falcons did. I'm glad the Falcons did. A win's a win. They're four and four in their first place. I think that's the biggest thing. But um, you know, the one thing about the, this Falcons team is by no means perfect. You know, but they are playing just well enough right now, and and, and you can definitely see improvements from this team over last year. Um, the young, a lot of the young players are stepping up. Drake London is an exciting player to watch. Kyle Pitts has been an exciting player since he entered the league to watch. Um, and while Mariota may not be the perfect quarterback, he's doing just enough to get the job done right now. And, uh, you know, the future looks bright for this Falcons team. They've got their, their schedule actually looks very winnable and manageable over the, the, last, the rest of the season. There are some games in there that will be close, but at least it's trekking in the right direction um, at the very least. And so I do feel like um, we're getting closer. Um, and I think that this team is, um, is, um, is fun to watch. And I, I think it's, they're definitely worth tuning in and watching every week to see what they do, especially now that they're in first place. The Atlanta Falcons have just been exciting. It's been must-see TV. I, I watched that game, Justin, from start to finish. And, and I just could not believe how poised P.J. Walker looked. I mean, he had – you know, DJ Moore, he had um, a Marshall, you know, he had some, they, you know, that Donta Foreman, you know, he played for the Titans last year, three rushing touchdowns. I, I was disappointed with the defense allowing Carolina to, to score that touchdown. But when uh, Marcus Mariota hit uh, Jameer Bird for that touchdown, I was going, the things that were going through my mind was you, you gave, you gave P.J. Walker, out of all people, too much time on the clock. But the Falcons' defense did hold Carolina. They punt away the foot. Uh, actually, no, they went for it on fourth down. Falcons have it in Carolina territory. The Carolina Panthers make them burn all their – the Carolina Panthers have to burn all their timeouts. Falcons kick the field goal to go up 34-28. I think there was, what, 30 seconds left to go? Who would have yeah. thought that Carolina would able – to score that touchdown with 12 seconds left to go. P.J. Walker 
with the Hail Mary into the back of the end zone, and DJ Moore just made an incredible play. I think that was the best throw all year that I've seen any quarterback make in a game. And I my agree. word, I could not believe that the Falcons were that close to uh, losing that game and should have lost the game because DJ Moore doesn't take his helmet off and they kick the extra point and they're up 34 to 33. Well, um, they're up 35, 34 with 12 seconds left to go. That's, that's your ball game. Yeah, it is. It's, um, you know, PJ Moore played well for sure. Um, he looked really good and he looked like a guy, um, that has a future in this league for sure. And so I, you know, Carolina played well enough to win this game. Uh, it, you know, well, I mean, they made some mistakes along the way too. Um, and all intents and purposes, probably nine times out of 10, the way that game unfolds, you, they probably do win that game. Um, you get a, you get a touchdown. Uh, you had a midfield 20 seconds left to play huge Hail Mary pass, you know, going, taking a shot at the end zone. Um, DJ, DJ Moore got open, made the catch. He doesn't take his helmet off there. They probably, they kicked the extra point, you know, from they kicked the extra point um, with a few seconds left and they probably win the game. Uh, but that just goes to show you with some of these players, like you gotta, you gotta keep your helmets on, man. Can't take it off <laughs> in the end zone. Um, and uh, you know, but the, yeah, I know they're, I know they're excited. It was a big play in the game. You want to celebrate, but do it on the other, do it, do it on the end zone. I mean, do it out of the end zone on the sidelines. Uh, don't do it there in the end zone where, you know, you can get those potential flags and stuff like that. It may, you know, I know some of the Carolina fans were upset thinking it wasn't really that bad. They seen worse celebrations, not get flagged for stuff, but the referees flagged it. And because of it, it caused a penalty, which pushed the kicker back and he missed the extra point from kicking from 40 instead of 25. So it just, it's just, it's one of those things that happened. Carolina, the nice thing about, I guess, for Carolina fans is, Hey, you get to play us again in like a week. So, um, you know, you'll get a chance of redemption up in Carolina. But um, good win for the Falcons. You take them when you can get them. Uh, they have their 500 in the first place. And, you know, this is just a confidence booster. You know, build off of it, keep winning games. And, you know, you, you never know. The Falcons might win a division title when we, never, when we didn't think they could. <laughs> so you never know. That is very true. So, DJ Moore. He was selected over the Falcons' first-round pick in 2018. He was he was the first wide receiver taken in 2018. That year, the Falcons drafted Calvin Ridley. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. So, oh Calvin boy. Ridley, he gets traded to the Jacksonville Jaguars for a second-round pick. What a steal. This pick that the Falcons got, he was supposed to be the heir apparent to Julio Jones. He's been an absolute disaster so last season, look, I, I don't want to get into the whole mental health. You know, he sat out some games because of mental health. You know, fix yourself, get right. But while he was sitting out the games, he pulled up his FanDuel account and he was betting $10,000 on, on, on himself or the team, and he got suspended for an entire year. I mean, this is probably – first of all, I, I don't agree with the punishment. I mean, you, you know, Deshaun Watson got suspended 11 games. And anyway, we'll, we'll – Look, it's neither here or there, but aren't you, are you glad that they finally got rid of this guy? Because I know that some of the Falcons fans are like, oh, next year we're going to have Drake London and Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts. Our our wide receivers are going to be unstoppable. No, trade away this guy. Get a second-round pick. A fifth-round pick for next year, 2024, second-round pick. But it still could be high. Jacksonville may not finish well next year. You never know. 
Um, but second round picks are always, you know, they're good. I mean, second round, first, second round picks always turn into, you, you most part turn into starters usually, or at least they should. So um, you could get a very solid second round pick out of them. You know, look, I, you know, this, the mental health stuff, like I'm all for um, the, um, I'm all for, you know, the league taking a look at mental health and allowing players to address their mental health and things like that. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to belittle that point at all. Cause there's that, you know, it is, it is, it is something that, you know, we've become more aware of in this country and we should take it seriously. Um, you know, but Calvin Ridley, you know, middle of the season last year says, I need to, I need to step away from football and address my mental health. He ends up gone for the whole season. We don't hear from him. We're not sure if he's coming back. We think, okay, he's gonna come back this year. Uh, there was speculation. Do they trade him? You know, does the, do, do the front does the front office just want to start fresh, completely fresh? Um, you know, he's still young, talented. You can get a lot for him. You know, the Falcons, you know, are rebuilding. Their window is not really open right now, um, and so maybe it's you know maybe it's good to take a player like that and trade him and get get some compensation back for him that can help you build towards the future um, for it. But you know, then then the whole betting thing happened, and we can yeah, me and you could probably do a whole show on the uh, you know the the <laughs> what the NFL was thinking about you know the the penalties and stuff like that, and I I didn't agree with an entire season suspension for betting on a for, on football games versus what Deshaun Watson did as well, um, and him only getting eleven games for it is ridiculous, but um, but I thought betting was was legal. You can you can bet on and this is not a sponsor. If you could bet on DraftKings, uh, place a five dollar bet, get two hundred dollars worth of free bets. Well, I'm I mean, I, check, DraftKings, DraftKings, you better be cutting me a check. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Again, I don't know. But point is, is he got he got suspended for for a season. Um, and I was I was shocked they got what they got back for him. Honestly, at this point. Um, I don't really feel like I figured at some point they trade him, but I didn't know they could get a second round pick for him at this point. Um, I think Calvin really still has some good years of football left in him for sure. He should be well rested at this point, even though I hadn't really played in two years, much in two years, I should say at this point when he comes, when he does play with the Jags next year, if he's healthy and can start week one with them, um, he'll be a weapon for Trevor Lawrence to have down there but I, you know i think it's good fresh start for everybody you know the falcons are cleaning house they're kind of getting um they're you know, met, you know getting some of the players out that's been there for a little bit and they're really starting over trying to start this this franchise fresh doing like a hard you know i know they they didn't really talk about it but it feels like at this point it's pretty much a hard reset at this point for it the is. franchise. They're, and, they're getting rid of dimitrov players exactly and so I, and I think that's good, you know, and I, and I also think, I mean, I know Calvin really wasn't on the, the, the Super Bowl team and stuff, but I think getting out of some of those players like Matt Ryan, like Julio Jones over the last years that were a part of that 28-3 Super Bowl collapse, I feel like it's just, it's good to, you know, to kind of clean the franchise away and distance yourself from that. I know it's the jokes will never go away, at least not until they win a Super Bowl, but as a franchise trying to get yourself away from that, catastrophe of a Super Bowl that you had and starting fresh and trying to, you know, trying to put together a new idea, just what this team's doing. You know, Arthur Smith is trying to really establish previous Falcons teams haven't really had a lot of. And so, you know, he brings Dean Pease out of retirement to be defensive coordinator. And, you know, the defense, you can, I mean, it's not, 
it's nowhere near yet like those Ravens teams that he had. But I mean, you can see some of the toughness starting to develop and just the, you know, they, they bend and don't break kind of, kind of um, mentality that defensive players now in year two under the system. And so I, I do think it's, it's going to take some time, but they're, I think they're laying the foundation properly and getting rid of some of the players that have been around the Mitros players. Like you said, it's going to take some time, but I think when this Falcons team is ready and, and one th- good thing too, I was telling somebody too, is that look, after this season's over, the cap space is going to really open up for the Falcons. You know, they're under so much cap crunch right now. They can't do a whole lot. So now all of a sudden they're going to have a lot of money at their disposal this off season, and they'll be able to plug and play some players, some free agents to make this team a lot more competitive and fill in some of the gaps and holes they have um, to make this team better competitive. But I think in the next few years, you're really going to see a team that can start making the playoffs on a more consistent basis and eventually building towards a, a team that has Super Bowl aspirations. This is the best Falcons defense since 2017 when the year after the Super Bowl, Dan Quinn had a, a lead defense. Their defensive coordinator was Marquand Manuel, and they actually were a very physical defense. They were a top 10 defense. They had players like Deion Jones and uh, Keanu Neal. They had Desmond Trufant, Robert Alford. They had uh, Devontae Campbell, who's doing a great job in Green Bay. And, of course, Grady Jarrett, I mean, but you also had Vic Beasley. You had Tack McKinley. I mean, you had some pass rushers that really underachieved. And and I know these were all Dimitrov's guys, but Dan Quinn was a defensive-minded head coach. Now we have Arthur Smith, who's an offensive-minded head coach, with a very underrated defensive coordinator in Dean Pease. I think if they get some cap space, this team is going to have a – it, they're going to look different. It's going to be a culture change. They're going to get away from the 28 to three jokes and they're going to actually start forming an identity. Remember a lot of teams, a lot of experts were picking this team to be one of the worst teams in the NFL to have one of the worst, the worst rosters in the NFL. And this team is four and four right now. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's definitely that this team is playing better than expected. That's for sure. I think that's what we're looking at right now. There wasn't a lot of expectations coming in. I didn't have a lot of expectations for this Falcons team coming in. Um, I was trying to keep them low, keep them, you know, that way I wouldn't get too excited about anything. Um, I'm glad they're playing better than what we thought they were. I'm glad they found a way to be in first place. I don't think anybody saw Tampa Bay falling off like they have so far this year. We still got a lot of season left too, and they're only a game up. And so I don't want to get anybody's hopes up, of, you know, or be everybody and start telling everybody like, "Yeah, we're going to make the playoffs this year." I don't know. I really don't know. But we're the fact that we're in the mix, much less like in first place in the division after you know, even if it's just one week here, that's huge. You know, that's huge for this team because nobody expected us to be in this spot yet. So that's great. We keep playing, keep keep going out there, keep taking care of your business, and we'll see what happens as we get as the season goes on. All right, Justin, uh, we're going to go ahead and briefly talk about the Atlanta Hawks who tonight, because, you know, this podcast gets aired tomorrow night. Tonight, Trey Young returns to the Garden, where he is the, the most entertaining visiting player since Reggie Miller. Uh, it's must-see TV. I wish this game was televised. I don't get Bally. I'm thinking about maybe signing up for that seven-day free trial for Bally Plus on my phone because I want to watch this game. I know they lost to the Raptors the other night. They're four and three, but they just are not quite elite yet. Trey Young has a bad night shooting against the Raptors and the Hawks fall off a cliff. 
they they well they played well against Detroit. They won both of those games. Um, looked good doing it. And then they then this weekend just didn't look great. Um, twenty you know lost to the Bucks one twenty three fifteen. Um, honestly, I'll admit I did not get a chance to watch this game, uh, so I didn't really see get the details in it. But it was it looked like it was a game again. It slipped away from us, and then they the the one against the Raptors looked bad one thirty nine. And so yeah, you know it's been so what the what are they now four and three on the season? Yeah, so they're four and three. Four and three. You know it's not a you know like I said it's not a terrible start to the season. Not the best start either. Um, still some things to clean up. But um, but yeah, you know some some of those same problems that kind of plagued the Hawks from a year ago are still apparent on this team. Uh, but you know the nice thing is there's still plenty of time to turn this around. So and and make this and play better. Um, at least they're getting off. I, I feel like they are playing a little bit better. I know last year they complained about uh, one of the complaints from the team was about how like it was hard to get into the games because of the run they made in the postseason two seasons ago. Um, and they came out flat to start the next season because they didn't feel like the games were big. Um, but I feel like they that's also part of a young team trying to, you know, learn how to play in the NBA. And, you know, yeah, you play and play. If you make it to the playoffs, you make a run. The games get bigger and the magnitude gets bigger. But then that season ends and you've got to start back from scratch the next season um, and build from there. You can't let that hangover, you know, affect you to where you just don't – you can't get up for the games because they're not playoff games and stuff like that. So – um, this team feels like it's playing a little bit better than that. I, I think there's some things to clean up, but um, you know, I like I like so far overall what I've seen from these Hawks teams. They got they, there's some things to clean up, but I do like what I've seen so far. Justin, as always, thank you so much for being a guest on Wednesday's show, and I look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you for having me on here, and looking forward to talking some more next week. Hopefully, we'll be celebrating a big Georgia victory over the Vols. Absolutely. Go dogs. That was my Wednesday guest, Justin Dale. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to another episode of the podcast. And don't forget that we are found on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you tomorrow. Have a great day, everybody. You've been listening to the Sports Beat with Richard Holdry. We invite you to download and subscribe. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Google Cast, Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share with your friends and family. This has been the Sports Beat, with your host, Richard Holdry. Produced in Columbus, Georgia. Extra production provided by J.D. Matthews. All opinions stated herein are those of the host and do not represent the opinions of Anchor Podcasts. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved.